Welcome to Life in the Land of the Ice and Snow. I'm Heather, and today I'm here with Travis from Australia. Hello, Travis. G'day. <laughs> Perfect. That's typically what you say as an Australian, I think. That's that's what I was hoping for and expecting. You are from what I would call a small town, but apparently is the second biggest town in... You're in South East Australia? Southeast Australia. Yes, yeah. in the name of your town. Mount Gambia. Yes. You've got volcanoes, sinkholes, yeah, limestone. Oh, I looked this up. You've basically <laughs> named the two best attractions that we have. <laughs> so whenever people come to Mount Gambia, they always say, well, can you show me the things which are most interesting? Which is, one, the volcanic crater, which is filled up with water, which is right. actually blue, so it's quite cool. Oh, that's nice. iconically, they named it the Blue Lake. And then you've got a sinkhole in the middle of the town. It is kind of nice because it is filled, like they've made a garden and things and steps down. Because we used to hang around there as kids because you just sort of go down. That was before they put in the stairs. Um, and sort of <laughs> climbed down. And they had all these vines that grew down the side. So those vines have been there for probably 100, 200 years or so. Wow. And obviously, as kids, you basically find these vines and you're like, oh, I can swing on these. Of course. <laughs> out over the big pit, which is not the most well thought through plan. But yeah, but you guys are Australian, so that's the kind of the attitude. Generally speaking, <laughs> what doesn't kill you is good. Yes. But I, I have to mention one more attraction that I found, which is in your area, is a giant lobster statue. Do you know uh, what yes, I'm talking in Port about? McDonald. Yes. Yes. And the thing that struck me with that is that I had a guest a few weeks ago from Canada, from New Brunswick, and they boast that they have a giant lobster statue that brings all the tourists, but theirs is 11 meters and yours is 17. That so is true. if everyone was planning their vacations to go see the biggest lobster, switch that vacation. You don't want to go to Canada anymore. You got to get down to Australia. There's actually quite a series of those sorts of things all around Australia. So you've got the big banana up on the <laughs> east coast. Uh, you've got there's a giant guitar in Tamsworth. You've got the giant olive outside of Adelaide. Uh, there's lots of these things. It was a trend, I believe, in the 80s or 90s to go and try and yeah. build these big competing statues in order to gather tourism, which is kind of strange considering that you have like a lovely nature around you that I you know. could look at. Okay, lobster, you're close to the sea. I kind of get it. And it was for a restaurant, I think, like a private. I looked this yeah. up. Yeah, no, yeah, it was a big <laughs> restaurant. We actually visited there in... Uh, April uh, last year. Ah. So we took a round trip from the biggest town in South South Australia, which is Adelaide, and then drove down to my hometown of Mount Gambier, across to Melbourne, up to Sydney, and up to the Gold Coast, which was almost three and a half thousand kilometers <sighs> in two and a half weeks, I believe. We made sure we stopped, got a photo. Yes, that's what I wanted to ask. Photo. You know, when people go to Pisa and they've got the leaning tower and you put right. your hands up. In this case, you like stick your arms out and then you try and like lift up the banana. Ah, okay. <laughs> it's a good notes for when I do my Australian trip because that's, that's the only reason I'm going is to see these giant of course. Uh, sculptures. No, unfortunately, that banana is not edible, believe it or not. Oh, man. You've totally disappointed me here. But that particular area, specifically up in Queensland, that's they have tropical rainforests where they grow lots of bananas. Really? I didn't really think about a tropical rainforest in Australia. 
Yeah. So Australia is, hmm. is so big. A lot of people don't really realise how big Australia is. Yeah. And you've got essentially everything. You've got snowy mountains, you've got mountain ranges, you've got wonderful coastlines in which you can visit, lots of deadly things in nature which try and kill you. Yeah. Those are always <laughs> the fun things to go and visit. Tell me how you find a Swede from living in southeast Australia. It was actually kind of funny. In the very first job interview that I had, I was start, uh, working as a teacher. Uh, and I, it was a relief teacher position in which I applied for. And one of the first things I said was, Swedish kids are strange. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand them. I see them, they'll go out in nature and they'll just pick up rocks and look underneath them. I would never do that. Well, because there's things under those yes, rocks that that's are. That's how yeah. you get killed. Or to <laughs> quote Archer, that's how you get ants. <laughs> Um, so that mentality of having no fear about your surroundings is just mind-boggling to me. Right. Obviously, the smaller you are, the less less you have thought about that when you're actually walking around. But as you progressively get older, you realise going outside is difficult for you. Because, <laughs> I mean, you go to the beach, there's potential sharks and box jellyfish. Yes. Obviously, that's why they have the flag. So you swim between the flags so it's the safe area. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the idiots which go further down because they think they've got their own private beach <laughs> right. and then get stung and wonder what happened. I mean, at least around Stockholm, it's you pretty much can jump in anywhere and yeah, you don't have these dangerous creatures in the sea and I think jellyfish are more southern Sweden I don't even know if they're that painful my wife actually told me about stories where they would go on trips down down south and family friends they would actually go and pick up the uh, the jellyfish which were on the beach and they would throw them at each other they're, they're non, non-dangerous but they really? would like stick to your skin and they're sort of like slimy and that so it's like throwing a bowl of goo at them that's that's funny though because I, I was suspicious that the jellyfish in Sweden did not sting so I'm glad to see I was confirmed in that mm. yeah because we, we have them in Texas and I got a lot worse in Australia I'm sure they hurt oh yeah but you don't have to worry about that here no uh, here you can basically go swimming anywhere Unless it's the middle of winter and everything's frozen over, of course. And then some people still do, so. Yeah, I don't understand (laughs) those people. Yeah, not my thing. They're probably Finnish. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Okay, so strange Swedish children that you had to teach. Mm. How does this get to meeting your Swede? Uh, Well, it was actually in Australia that we met, so... I just come back from from Germany. Uh, I was living there for quite a few years, and then I was working. And I decided, well, I need to go and go to university, get that piece of paper that everyone tells me is good right. for me. And so I went up to the university open days, which is up to Adelaide. And I was staying with one of my friends friends there, and I said, look, I get to bum off you. The least I can do is cook your dinner and you can invite some friends over and we'll, we'll see how that goes. Now, my wife, Edith, she happened to just be coming to the country probably about a month beforehand and was staying in the actual residential dorms there. And she was a friend of a friend, which came (laughs) along to that party. It was actually kind of a sad story because she came to the dinner, but she came a little bit later because she had a meeting that she was planning with a bunch of people for a trip around around Australia so she could see things. Naturally, Mm. exchange students, you want to try and see as much as you can during that time. And all the dinner that I cooked 
they'd eaten almost all of it. <laughs> so I tried to save as much as I possibly can. So she came came there and she's like, well, there is one chicken drumstick and some rice left. <laughs> I guess this is okay. So I sat in the kitchen and talked to her and that's how we actually got, got to know ah, each other more. See, it was fate that she was late and there wasn't enough food left. Yeah. Indeed. But I was mainly impressed by her Mario Kart skills, actually. Ah, well, that's what you're looking for in, in a partner, is somebody who can uh, compete with you on video games. Indeed. I and agree. That was eight years ago, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So how long until you guys like started dating? Or it, it sounds like you weren't in your hometown during that time. So We were and we weren't. So... When we first met, we were up in, in Adelaide, um, mm-hmm. so we met for approximately two days. We caught up the day after that we first met, and I had to travel back home for work, which was, to put in reference, is 500 kilometres from <laughs> where, where Adelaide is. So that's about a five and a half hour drive. So I said to her, it's like, look, if you're interested, I can show you around another part of Australia. You're welcome to come and stay with me. I can show you all around uh, like the beaches and the coast and all around where I live. You're most welcome to come and join me. And a week later, she booked a ticket on a bus and came came down and visited me. Wow. <laughs> so, I guess that, she trusted you weren't a serial killer, so... Clearly. I mean, <laughs> I didn't have that vibe at the moment. I didn't have the hobo look, which I've been sporting the last month, <laughs> beard and long hair. <laughs> or maybe it's this whole Swedish thing of just being very trusting and, That's you true. know, like the kids with the rocks. It's like, oh, everybody's cool. Well, she was saying to me yesterday, like, well... There's one way to see the country, and before you rescind the offer, I better make sure I take you up on it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I think it's so good when you can actually go and see a place with the locals, Mm. and it's not just the big cities. So it's so nice to have somebody to show you around. It's similar to how I met my husband, because he was on a trip, and they were just going to hit New York and L.A. like all the Swedes do. And I said, well, come on down to Texas. I'll show you around. Is it true that everything is bigger in Texas? Yes, Except the anthills in Sweden are way bigger than in Texas. This is something I think I haven't talked about. So in Texas, when we have ants, they build their little anthills out of dirt. And it's maybe like, it's not that high, like, I don't know, a little past my ankle. And then in Sweden, if you go out in the forest, the ants build their uh, nest with pine needles. And those things are like almost as tall as me. I couldn't believe it. It's it's crazy. So that is the one thing I've seen in Sweden that is bigger than in Texas. However, the Swedish ants, if they even bite, which I'm not sure they even do, they feel like nothing. Whereas in Texas, we have fire ants. And there's a reason they're called fire ants. They because stink for quite some time Yes, afterwards. you feel like you're on fire. I found that initially I would get sick all the time when I first first was moved to Sweden because I would see the sun and I'd instinctively have shorts, <laughs> t-shirt and walk outside. Now, some of those days weren't, weren't so smart because I was uh, living and studying in Linköping mm-hmm. and it was probably mid-autumn or, or so, so it was probably around three, four degrees, but sun was shining, so I was like, beautiful. Woke up early in the morning. Had to quickly get to class, so shorts, t-shirt. For some reason, put on my thongs, which I don't really know why. (laughs) Got downstairs, jumped on my bike, get halfway to the university, and I thought, oh, it is really cold today. And you sort of get to that halfway point. It's like, do I turn back? I'm not sure anymore. I'll be indoors soon, so maybe I can make it. 
I think I ended up turning back. And that was the point where you sort of realize, okay, you need extra layers. I know. But I make the same mistake, especially in the spring, because you are expecting it to heat up at some point. So then you do get excited and you can believe it when you look out the window. And so I've done the same with jackets that are too light, but I don't make the sandal mistake until it's maybe July. I don't actually know where mine are anymore because I just, I haven't used them. That's sad. I think I know where they are, but at the same time, I really don't. And then I pick them up and it's like, I'm not going to be using these. And I put them straight back in the box and forget where they are again. Well, okay, so then you you meet your future wife. How did you come about moving to Sweden I don't know. I kind of think it might be a little nicer in Australia, weather-wise, but I guess you guys decided on Sweden. It was kind of a bit logical because when we met, we were both studying at university. She had started her degree probably six months before I I had. Mm -hmm. And for the next few years, we sort of traveled backwards and forwards. So every opportunity that we had, so we lived together for for six months uh, she then went back to Sweden uh, I then went at Christmas time and uh, yeah. got to get a bit of a feel for the place and see how things things were and then managed to score an exchange uh, there as well uh, we lived in Linköping for a year uh, was was studying there and then I went back for the final year and she completed her degree six months beforehand and had managed to get work so it was quite logical that once I finished mine that I would come over to Sweden. I thought about it initially, it's like, well, we could go for Australia or we could go for uh, for Sweden, but we're at the point where we both want to build up our careers and just see where it goes from there. And since you already had the head start, then it made perfect sense that we would, we would go for Sweden. Well, what were your impressions the first time you came? You said you came at Christmas time. <laughs> That was actually the very first time, well, it wasn't the first first time, that Arlanda had actually been closed because of a cl- snowstorm. Oh. So I hopped on the plane and was on my way, way there. I get to London and I get there really early in the morning because I expected to be in Sweden probably about 8, 9 o'clock or so. Mm-hmm. And my flight was cancelled because of snow. And you would think, hang on, Nordic country, they have lots of snow. They can't handle snow. Yeah. And then my flight got cancelled and rebooked and cancelled and rebooked the entire day. So I was in the airport for 12 hours trying to get to Sweden. At that point, you're sort of like, should I just go home? Or I'm like, no, we'll stay stay in the hotel. We'll we'll fly in the next day. And obviously, I'd, I'd come didn't have thick enough of a jacket so I'm freezing at the airport as typical people do and then I realized well no this this is different I I could try this Uh so what did you what did you see did you go to the Christmas markets did you get to participate in the culture around Christmas here quite a lot so fortunately my uh, my wife has got a nice extended family and we would go Go, we go on snow scooters up in up in the north. Ooh, wow. uh, I went to uh, moose farms and various things. You've done more than me. <laughs> uh, that was pretty cool. One thing I didn't know is that moose actually love potatoes. Absolutely, love it's literally like crack cocaine for them. I know that they like apples because mm. I, I know they go crazy in August with all the apples on the trees. I did not know about the potatoes. Yeah, at this moose farm hmm. that you could go to, though. Uh, they were actually wild moose, so yeah. they weren't, weren't raised. 
And then when the guy would walk walk to the fence with the bucket of potatoes, all these moose would come come there. And you'd go up and you'd be able to pat them. It's not a problem. And he said, make sure if they're, like, moving or anything, then you just move out of the way because otherwise you can kind of get stepped on. You don't even realize how massive they are until you get up close to one. Yeah. God, they're huge. But I've been quite a lot all over Sweden in quite a few obscure areas as well. Um, my mother-in-law was working up in Arjeplog, uh, up in the far, far north, which is close to so the border of, uh, of Norway and, and Finland, quite up far. Oh, far wow, up. yeah. So that was really out in the middle of nowhere. You go skating on, like, massive lakes that are up there uh, during winter. You go hiking all around around the mountains. I've done hiking across Hergekustan, um, uh-huh. so I did, did the hiking trails there. So Wow. I feel like you've gotten, like, a really good Swedish experience. I'm, I'm sticking to the cities too much. I, I think i got to go explore a little more. <laughs> well, that was one thing which took me a while to get used to because, like, going outside during winter is one of them. It's like, <laughs> it's cold. I really do not want to go outside. Mm-hmm. And then overcoming that sense of, Everything is not trying to kill me. <laughs> so once you get get into that mindset, it's like, oh, well, I guess I can go and like pitch a tent somewhere, or I can go hiking in this forest, or I can pick this berry and eat it, and it's not going to poison me. <laughs> You're at a company called Detectify. Detectify, yeah. I think that's an awesome name. Of course, I said it in front of my kids, and they're like, Detectify Pikachu? No. <laughs> Not quite. I mean, if Pikachu's website had vulnerabilities into it, then we would definitely be able to find it. It might be so. a source that he would use is mm-hmm. this company. Yeah. So tell me what you do here at Detectify. So I work as a sales engineer. Mm-hmm. And that job entails me working directly with clients to do technical evaluations of using the software. Uh, the software itself uh, actually simulates hacking attacks against people's own applications so right. they can test for vulnerabilities. And then I help people debug files or integrate their different tech stack applications into it and then do a lot of configuring work behind that. I was reading up a little bit on it, and they work with good hackers to develop this technology. I had no idea that, well, you knew that there was, like, good hackers and bad hackers. Everyone hears the word hackers, and they instantly think people slamming down on keyboards and making lots of money from stealing things. But we have these, what is it, white hats and black hats, and the white hats are like the ethical hackers that try to help people find Am I right? That's correct. Okay. <laughs> and the founders that, that were here, they originally were doing that that in, in high school, and they're actually some of the top-ranked hackers throughout the world. Wow. Um, they were actually flown to Singapore just recently to compete in some hacking events, uh, <laughs> and they top placed within the top five wow. that were there during the 24-hour hacker day. <laughs> so it's very cool. You're essentially amongst the ethical hacking rock stars of the world. Yeah, and that's who you want to check your security. I mean, I think that's the best. Goes away from the norm of a standard security company, whereas everything is going to be in this hardened box, which no one's ever going to penetrate to being, hey, I see that you've got various holes here. Let's see if I can exploit them. Yeah. (laughs) But the cool thing about working with 
detectify as well in contrast to some of the places that I have worked as well is there is a lot of different people from a lot of different nationalities here yeah so you must have a lot of expats from all over that have come oh, yes I should use your company as like a source for this podcast I think but uh, name some of the countries where are people from uh, so we have people from Greece Mexico Australia UK Spain Argentina Moldova Kosovo Hungary Georgia, Canada, US. I can oh. see that you're going to feel bad if you leave somebody else, <laughs> but it's hard to There's remember. There's like 20, 24-ish <laughs> nationalities uh, here. But I, I love that. Most of the jobs I work are very international as well, and it's so much fun meeting people from all over. Do you guys do like maybe once a month where somebody brings food from where they come from? Or I usually try to arrange that when yeah, I go we'll places. Yeah, we do that when we have holidays. Um, so anyway, that goes back to their home country, it's sort of not really a given, but it's really nice if people bring stuff back that's edible so that you can try it. So last week we, actually this week, we got chocolate from Hungary, Mm -hmm. um, lots of different variations. We had some uh, pastry dishes from Greece. We've had different themed nights as well where we had a a proper way to do Mexican tacos. That's very important. Very, very important. important. Yes. Uh, the woman that was actually doing doing the cooking, she had her mum on live stream and was like checking to sit to make sure that oh, it was that's right. Great. And so they're there speaking speaking Spanish and her mum's giving her tips as we like, okay, the consistency you need to add this and this in right. order to make sure that it's like the genuine recipe. It's so wonderful now that we can all move from these countries, but we have FaceTime and Skype and we can connect so easily like that where basically yeah someone can bring their mom to work to show how to cook something yeah. quite cool oh. as well because then they can sort of walk around so you get a virtual tour of where people work and live without a problem at the moment i'm renovating my apartment and my dad's a structural engineer so i've been doing quite a lot of the construction work because i picked up quite a few things over the years from him so i've been doing some of the building work in the apartment and then I would send him like photos or I would send him like a video and be like, oh, well, but if you like screw in at this cross angle, then you'll be able to fix it more firmly to the wall. I was like, all right, cool, I'll do that. I just, I think that's so wonderful. When I came, it was right at the beginning of being able to communicate easily like that, but there was no FaceTime or, or Skype, but at least it did have email. Mm. But there were a lot of people who really hadn't joined up on the email thing and we didn't have Facebook or anything like that. So I think it makes it so much easier now for people to experience other cultures to go and live in another country for a while because you're still, you can be connected to all your friends and family. And I think that was also the reason why a lot of us initially got your different social network channels such as Facebook or mm-hmm. um, Instagram or Twitter when that first came out is that connectivity. I got that when I moved to Germany because uh, when I, I wanted to try and keep up to date with what was happening when I moved away. So all of the people that were either going directly to university or doing other things in their life, I wanted to be able to be connected with that. And so I remember specifically plugging my going away parties like, add me on Facebook if you haven't already yes. done it. <laughs> Have you had any friends or family come to visit? I uh, had quite a few, actually. Oh, so I mean, it's such a long flight, so I wasn't sure. <laughs> oh, it's only 27 hours. Oh, so. only. Okay. That's one thing that most people 
as as much as it would be nice to try and go go back on constant occasions, the flight time and the cost involved as well makes mm-hmm. it quite difficult. Uh, but my parents have been here quite a few times. They've been here during the summer, so we showed them all, all oh, around nice. when they were here. I had actually 18 Australians come over for my wedding a few years ago. So um, what were their impressions? What did they, did you pick up on what they thought was strange or different? Well, they actually happened to come around midsummer. So <laughs> they were looking around and like, why are all these people dancing? And what is this thing about frogs? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm still wondering but, about that. Yeah, so they didn't quite get, get that. But aside from that, they spent as much time as they possibly could walking around all or the city, the old town, uh, going to the Vasa Museum. Mm-hmm. When my parents first came here, actually, it was summer break. And since I would been teaching before, I obviously didn't have any work during summer break. So I was their tour guide for 24-7 whilst they were staying. So I actually got to the point of being able to tour guide to all these different places when people would come and visit that when I was in Drottningsholm uh, Slotten, Mm-hmm. And I was walking around and we were doing the tour and I was explaining all these different things because I'd been there myself probably three, four times at, at that point. I was talking about all these different things in which I'd picked up from previous tours and I had not only my parents follow me, but I had part of the official tour follow me around <laughs> during that visit. What a lot of people don't think about when it comes to Australia is Australia is still a very new country. That's right. Even though you've got the Aboriginals that have been there for thousands of years, so you grow up and you learn some of some of the different Dreamtime stories and things. When you come over to Sweden, they've got advanced industrial history that spawns back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, whereas we've been around for about 150 as a colonised country. Yeah. So whenever I look around, I was like, this building was from 1600s. Like, what? I, people live in apartment buildings from the 1600s. Mm-hmm. That's what blows my mind. Same as you. I'm, I'm from a relatively young country. So we don't have buildings that old. When I moved here, before I moved, I asked my my now husband, uh, about his apartment building. He said, no, I live in a new building. I was like, oh, okay, you know, it must be really modern. No, new meant 1940s because it wasn't from the 16 or 1700s like so many other buildings in town. It's like, yeah, 1940s isn't new. Was there a problem with public transportation or getting used to subways? It was, actually, because... Coming from the small town that I, I lived in, uh, we were used to buses not arriving. <laughs> so if you were ever taking a bus or a train, uh, I got lost so many times. And I actually had, when I first started work in my, my previous company, every day I would take the train to work, I would actually go down an entire level, do an entire loop. This is the Freedom's Plan area. Go downstairs, take a, take a loop underground, take an elevator up, which is actually the elevator. If I got off at the other end of the platform, it would have been fine. Went down, went, went back up. And so that would add probably 10 minutes to my day. And then one of my colleagues, when we went out for a, a meeting and came back, I was like, oh, but we've got to go down here. He's like, no, we just take this elevator to the side. I was just in my small town that we're at. We didn't have escalators. Uh, There's very, very few times you would ever use a lift. So a lot of wow. these things I hadn't actually seen before in constant Yeah, um, constant like everyday times. life. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. So I 
that's one thing is when you're moving to a different place, especially if you're from the, from the country, it's like you go to the city and it's like, wow, escalators. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now that you've seen them a few times, you're like, oh, okay, can you like please move across? That sort of thing, trying to go up. I was one of those unfortunate people that stood on the left-hand side yeah, in the beginning. me too. And was wondering why people were pushing me out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's something that a lot of people in Europe need to keep in mind, is you never know when somebody is a tourist and honestly has no idea you're supposed to stand on the right side of the escalator. The left side is for walking up. But yeah, that's one of those unspoken things. How would you know that you're supposed to stand to the right of an escalator if you've never experienced that kind of escalator culture? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no idea. And that's actually one of the few areas in which you actually see Swedish people angry. And it, it never <laughs> dawned on me until this point in time, because that is the point where people will actually push you out of the way. Otherwise, they would just stand behind you and expect you to move. But in most cases, people are in such a hurry if they're taking that, the, they that push left you. lane. They do push you. Yeah, they do. And they're quite angry about it. And the other thing about Swedes is they rarely say, excuse me, or anything like that. They just push you and get on with their business. Mm. I wonder if it's like a, a punctual thing. You know, I have timed this trip exactly, and if I don't make this Bus by this time, I'm not going to be on time for work or wherever I'm going. My so. wife and I had that problem when we first were moved to Stockholm because since I was used to the country, a lot slower pace, and then you come to Stockholm, everything's like much faster, and that was fine for me. But I would always try and budget time extra for where I'm going to go. So I'll arrive somewhere 15 minutes early without a problem on the dot every uh-huh. time. Whereas I was like. Well, if we take this bus and then this train, we can get there at exactly one minute before we have to be there. No, that's not how this works. So we've got a compromise. I think it's four minutes now. That's great. That's so Swedish. Are there any other experiences you had in Sweden where you just really did not get the culture or made mistakes with the language? I think I specifically now, because we're expecting a, a child ne- next month, uh, the actual, when you're speaking about child, you say, say bonnet. And because a lot you use for newer words or words that you're just lazy with, you generally add en on the end of it. So I kept saying bonnet. That everyone <laughs> expected that we were having twins. Like, no, we're not having twins. We're, we're having one. So. <laughs> but it is difficult to remember which one is en and which one is et. And I, I do the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to consider myself relatively fluent in Swedish, but there is small hiccups here and there where they just really do not work. How has the experience been just with the way that they handle things in Sweden, in your opinion? Very strange. Uh, <laughs> I did not know that when you actually have a mid midwife, that you meet a midwife all up until when you're actually going to the hospital, and then they're not going to be there. Nope. That still blows my mind. I only learned about this last week. Oh, no. Like, so you're going to be there at the birth, right? No, it's midsummer. I'm on vacation. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So, like, one of your colleagues then, or but like, if it's before midsummer, then then you'll be coming. So, no, we don't go to the birth. It's only the hospital people. Like, what? <laughs> I remember I was struck by like how at the beginning you go to some visits with the midwife, and then it's like, okay, well, we don't need to see you for a couple of months. Okay, Th- thought you might want to keep an eye on things. Nah. 
if you don't have a problem, you don't need to come until, you know, this time. And it's like, do you want to do a scan to make sure it's still in there? Yeah. No, we did that in the start. That's fine. You notice anything different, you let yeah. us know. It's a very laissez-faire approach considering that yes. the healthcare system is very comprehensive. And from what I've understood from my friends that have had kids, you're very well looked after. Oh, yeah. But that concept of, yeah, well, if you're experiencing anything different <laughs> to what you expect, it's like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to expect. And when it's, yes, when it's your first baby, well, how do you know? And if you're a woman, your body has never felt like that before. So what's normal and what's not normal? It's somewhat nerve-wracking. It's the same as when the time comes that you're actually going into labor. My friend's like, oh, yeah, just get a taxi. You mean you don't drive to the hospital? Why? would you not drive to the hospital that doesn't make any sense oh well parking fees i mean that's i think that's a generic rule in every hospital everywhere that the parking fees are there but apparently in sweden they're insane yeah so they're, they're pretty like, bad they're like just take a taxi i'm like that poor taxi driver that's gonna pick us up is <laughs> gonna have a heart attack <laughs> you know i almost had my second child in the taxi i was really nervous we had to go across town and by the time we made it to the hospital i had the baby within 30 minutes and i always thought that taxi driver has no idea how close he came to being in the newspaper and to having a big cleaning bill for his car. Oh, yes. Well, I'm also <laughs> you having a big cleaning bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder how that works. So that's going to be a very new experience when that happens. Yeah, but I was just going to say, because nothing costs here when you have a baby. So actually, if you had to pay parking fees... That would obviously cost way more than having a baby. That is true. The only thing you have to pay for here with having a baby is if you... uh, The the woman gets her meals for free, but if you as the father want to eat at the hospital, why would you? Then they charge you a little bit for your meal. Otherwise, everything is free, so... The hospitals (laughs) that we're going to, apparently they've even got a separate area for the dads in which you can stay, um, as well as meals and things provided, so... Nice! I found that sort of small secret tip from one of my friends. Obviously, I can't share it here. No, 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 no. Then then it'd be too crowded. Is this also like a secret dad thing? We've actually got uh, quite a few fathers at the workplace in which I'm at. And we have a Slack channel, which is called Panic Dads. So the idea (laughs) is that anytime we have something, it's just, okay, kid is going yellow or bouncing off the walls. I do not know what to do. Yeah. You can write in that Slack channel. One of us is probably going to going to say something. Oh, that's that's a great idea, though. It's very clever. I recommend that for many workplaces. So this weekend we've got Mother's Day coming up, Swedish Mother's Day. This is good for you to know. It was actually a week or two ago that the Mother's Day was in Australia. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's also the same Mother's Day in the States and England at the same time. That's right. So now that I've moved, my parents are actually quite quite pleased because they get two Father's Days and two Mother's Days. I don't go for that. No, no. But it's hard to remember when another country has a different day and you've got to keep up with that. And that's why it's great because if you forget one, then you've always got the other one as a backup. <laughs> oh, well, you know, uh, I yeah. was just going to celebrate it in the Swedish time. Exactly. Yeah. I may have already done that. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, that's coming up. Um, also in Stockholm this coming weekend, we've got the Indian Culture Festival at Kungstragården, and I love checking the Kungstragården calendar because they always have different things like this. A lot of different culture festivals. We've got the um, Taste of Stockholm coming up. That I'm looking forward to. I know. I love that because then it's food, food booths, and food trucks from with food from all around the world. And they're supposed to sell like small samples of things, but it's kind of become more that they just set up there. It used to be really cheap where you could taste from each booth for like 20, 30 crowns, but but it's still fun to get to go and try everything. Definitely. So. That's like the one week of the year in which I make sure I don't have a lunchbox. Yes. And specifically now that my office has moved into central Stockholm in Hertoria, I can literally just walk there. I know. Oh, that's good. It's very handy. Because the taste of Stockholm goes on about a week, so it's really good. You can, you can go and taste something different every day. It does. <laughs> but if you want to taste Indian food this weekend, then go down there because they'll probably have a lot of uh, these culture days they have. It's usually performances on the stage with dancing or something and then, yeah, different things you can try, eating or maybe activities that go with the country. So I think that should be a pretty good one. Well, did you have any any tips for Sweden, Linköping? Um, we've heard about the moose farm. Where was that? Uh, that was in northern Sweden, so in a place called Arvitsjar. Right, yes. Mm. You did say that name, and I did not commit that to memory. Oh, that was Arjeplog. Arjeplog is like the main town, and then Arvitsjär is like 30 minutes away from there. All right. Everybody got that? Those are two different names and two different places. I'm sure you'll remember them. But thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks. Bye.